Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that is guilty of being severely underappreciated. Please share the podcast with a friend. I'm James. And I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been recently watching. We have the conflicts of interest that will decide who won the summer UK movie box office prediction game. We'll talk real news. And our main review is The Guilty, starring Jake Gyllenhaal on Netflix. Is it Gyllenhaal? Or is it Gyllenhaal? Fairly certain it's Gyllenhaal. Right, I'm going to say Gyllenhaal for the entire episode, just to be awkward. That's fine. You were wrong about Gal Gadot, though. I just just didn't correct you at the time. Right, okay. God, how many months have you been holding on to that one? I need to apologise for a mistake that I made. I was flexing my James Bond knowledge, and I said, Walther PK, it's PPK. I apologise. God, James, what a terrible mistake you made. I'm sure many listeners will have completely fled from this podcast. No wonder it's underappreciated. We've not got no listeners left because you can't get your facts straight. Just while you mentioned the No Time to Die review last week, I just wanted your thoughts on the woman who you shamed because she was using her phone and you you waved your bright phone in her face to teach her a lesson. It just got my mind ticking over this week because I thought people are so socially inappropriate that there's almost no rules to anything these days. And it got me thinking about, there's a kid on my street, right? I don't know how this all relates together, but it does. I was listening to a crime podcast and they said, oh, do you know, it's actually illegal to peer into somebody's window in some states in America. And I thought, well, that's funny because there's this kid on my road and he constantly just hangs around looking through my window directly at me whilst I'm sat on the couch. And I'm quite like, that's annoying, but I'll let it slide. But imagine doing that as a full grown adult. Imagine just going up to somebody across the road's house and just looking in for minutes on end. It's just not on, is it? It's not on. So the person that does it to you, is he a child or an adult? He's, a, he's an eight-year-old child, but I still think it's unforgivable. Okay. I thought it would be a lot older the way you were talking about it. Well, it, ignore age for a second, because this leads me on to my question that I really wanted to ask you. You hit a child in Tesco with a trolley the other week and got away with it. If I accidentally, and I don't mean at full speed, but just knocked this kid when he's messing about in the middle of the road next, and it was, you know, it's just resulted in a graze, nothing catastrophic. Is that okay? Knocked him with what? With what? The car. No, not, car. Definitely not with the car. <laughs> definitely not with the car. That is vehicular assault, isn't it? Surely that's a no-go. If somebody sees. No, I don't. I don't think you can do that. You can't you can't do that. Okay, I'll just I'll just absolutely bollock him for looking through my window then and just say, Do you know how creepy that is, mate? Yeah. That's well I was I, I was I was reflecting on this in a similar way because if someone's looking in your window, right, and you are in a state of undress, who is at fault there? Are you indecently exposing yourself? Or are they invading or harassing you by looking at you? That is such a complex question. I think there's there's loads of factors that could play into that. If you're on a ground floor and it is the front of your house and you are naked with your blinds or curtains open, you are at fault. Okay. <laughs> if your second story, whatever it may be, and somebody happens to see you from an adjacent building, that's okay. So I think it's subject to different scenarios, okay. personally. Right. What if I've got a telescope? <laughs> then you are the definition of a peeping Tom slash perv and should probably be prosecuted for it. Okay. Daniel, what have you been watching this week? 
Um, what have I been watching? Right, I said last week I'm not reviewing Sex Education because I am going to watch it in full and review it next week. Well, guess what? Let down. I didn't. I've seen three episodes now. Um, but I have nothing else to review. So unfortunately, you're just getting my uninformed three episodes in opinion, which is that sex education continues to be great. I love it. I really, really enjoy this show. Have you ever dipped your wick in to this? No, this is only Jaylene Anderson in it. Yes, it is. Yeah. I've seen one brief clip. Is she still in it in series three? Yeah, yeah, she's still in it. Still mm-hmm. quite a prominent character. Because she wasn't being advertised on the thumbnail on Netflix, but I've not seen it. Do continue. So as I say, I can't give you a full, fully fledged opinion, but so far this is, well, I'll let you in on what it's about if you're not aware. First two seasons, Asa Butterfield's character, of which I've forgotten his name, he sets up a sex therapy for all his surrounding high school students to come and speak to him about sexual problems, which is quite ironic because he himself has not had sex within that first series. As things progress, the notoriety of this sex therapy that is available within the school becomes more widespread and it kind of gets a bit out of control and leads to some conflict with the school, shall we say. It's a very sex positive show. It's not shying away from difficult topics. And I was quite nervous because they they effectively shut this sex counselling down at the end of the second series. And I'm like, well, how is it going to progress But it really has managed to still stay fresh. And I really congratulate them for that because I think it is a difficult ask to just make this feel as fresh as it did three years ago. And I also like the fact that it got rid of some of the stigma. If I seem to remember correctly, when it first came out, they tried doing this mass appeal thing where like they were wearing American style high school uniforms and the school itself was a bit Americanized and it was tonally a bit odd, but actually it kind of worked in its favor and people kind of ignored that and forgot about it as the series has gone on third series opens with a sex montage of literally every character that you know having sex and it's just so funny and well done it's just edited to perfection and i thought well it's a good strong opening will they be able to keep it up i can't tell you whether they can for the full episode run but as far as i have seen this continues to be great and i would very much welcome a fourth season if they can still find ways to keep it new and engaging and not let it go stale. Not let it go flaccid, you mean? You, you missed an opportunity there, I think. I did, but if I had made that joke, I would have said flaccid because that's the correct way of saying that word. I accept that. Not, isn't it weird? I said that for years, though. That wasn't me being a pedantic dick, no. so I apologise. Okay. What else have you been watching? The Chestnut Man. This is a foreign thriller, which, much like Squid Game from a few weeks back, is in the top 10 on Netflix. I was, well, I was compelled to watch it anyway, wasn't I, given the subject matter? But I looked it up on IMDb and I found out that this is from, well, it's adapted from a book by the guy who brought us The Killing, which is probably the finest example of a foreign television series making its way to the masses with a wider audience. Yes, we did get a US remake of The Killing, which was good within its own right. But I think that was, from my memory, a real turning point when people said, actually, foreign drama is good. Maybe we should play a close attention. Because of that, I was very interested. I know that this guy is very capable and he's good at what he does. So I thought, let's see let's see how this goes, if this is an adaptation of a book. And I'm glad to say it's very, very good. It's the story of a female police officer's investigation into a series of brutal murders of local women. At each crime scene, there is a figurine of a chestnut man, which is basically a chestnut that has arms and legs that's been stuck onto it. 
Now, I thought, and I did look it up, I might not have done extensive research, chestnut men, it seems as though it's a tradition of some sorts in this nation. I don't think it is. I think they've just inserted it here. But it really does work. I think it's genuinely, you know, something as simple as a chestnut suddenly becomes the symbol of something that's really terrifying and there is sufficient creep factor to it. It is quite a well-layered mystery. There's a lot of moving parts to it. You have quite a complicated home life with the female detective. She's pretty much absent from her daughter's life the majority of the time. And there's a source of frustration there with her would-be grandfather. It's not actually a grandfather, but he's just doing the right thing and looking after her daughter. There is a politician whose daughter disappeared, was seemingly murdered a year previous, and she's making her way back into politics. And suddenly that brings about a turn in the investigation. Suddenly there's developments and there's a lot of upheaval in her life. It does build to what I would say is a satisfactory conclusion with a a suitable twist. But I do think that if you read between the lines, you can see it coming, potentially. But I I don't regret watching this. I do think it is fully deserved of being in the top 10. But I think it's got like 8.2 on IMDb. I think that's a little too high. Probably giving it a 7.3, personally. Very good. The lead actress, Danica Kurchic, she was also in Equinox that was on Netflix that I discussed a few weeks, months ago. Oh, yeah, and I never did check that out. I remember you saying that it was it was worth a watch. Not outstanding, but it was worth a watch. Yeah. Similar thing, I think, where there are cultural things in Equinox specific to that country that would enhance what was going on. It sounds like Chestnut Man is the same, where there's recognisable symbols that you won't get if you don't know that culture. Yeah. The main thing that made me think this has to be something about this country's identity is there is a song that children sing about the chestnut man. And ever since, obviously, I've watched it in its native language. They are singing this song. They do not say the words chestnut man. But I am constantly going around the house going, chestnut man, do-do-do-do-do, chestnut man. (laughs) It's just really weird that I've chosen to sing that song with a completely incorrect... Well, they're not incorrect lyrics, but it's just not right. Anyway, there you go. Chestnut man, Netflix. Great. James, on to you. What have you been watching this week? I've been watching 28 Up Millennium Generation, which is a continuation of the ongoing BBC documentary series that started with 7 Up Millennium Generation. Some background, in 1964, the BBC or ITV made a documentary called 7up and they took children from across the UK at the age of seven with the idea that they would film them at seven year intervals throughout their life. And it is still going on. The last one was in 2019 where they were in their 60s. So this series follows children that were seven in the year 2000 and you can watch all the episodes from previous years on bbc iplayer 7 14 21 28 28 is out now it's come out last week there's two episodes now my parents watched the original and they're exactly the same age as the people in the original show so they followed it closely or as close as you can as it's on every seven years and we're, we're actually exactly seven years older than the people in this, but it is very relatable. You watch them when they're seven and they're playing on PlayStations and they have the box TVs. And then in 28 up, they have all flat screen TVs. I don't remember ever watching this new generation in the past. So I've caught up with the whole thing to bring me up to 28 up. This is absolutely brilliant. They select people from different classes and different backgrounds. So I think it's 20 children at the start. 10 girls, 10 boys. So you get a nice spread of people. And I think without reading into it, I just watched it. It felt like a study on class. So there are people from 
upper class backgrounds and you think, well, they're set for life. And the people from more working class backgrounds are people that live on an island somewhere. You think, well, they're set as well. And there's a feeling of inevitability in the rich and poor. But it does take some interesting turns. So there's this one rich kid and his mother is a director of Harrods. And you think, well, this guy is set for life. He's going to go to eat and go to Yale. But then by the time he gets to 28 up, it does feel a bit like he's watched himself in the program. He's realized his own privilege and he's not taken the most obvious path. It's almost like he's struggling to find what to do because he's become aware of his own privilege and how easy it would have been if he'd taken an easier path. And he's the one that's like most not troubled, but it's not really decided what his future is going to be. Whereas the people in the middle, they're following a path where they seem to have fallen into things and they're the more satisfied, even though they never spoke of having these great ambitions. And there's this other girl who was made disabled by a virus that she had when she was 18 months old. So she's in a wheelchair. And when she's younger, she's living a relatively normal life. Her disability doesn't seem like it's that prominent in her life. But then as she gets older, her disability becomes her identity. And it's, it's quite like, upsetting to watch how it's really innocent at first, but then she realizes actually going out into the world, there's discrimination and barriers and this is really bad. It's absolutely amazing, this documentary. Please watch it on BBC iPlay, if you can. It's 28 up. Based on your fine words, I think I will do so. I know that my dad was quite a fan of the original series as well and wouldn't stop banging on about it. It didn't encourage me to watch it though, because that was my dad. But this is you, so I'll listen. Um, I do wonder how far the contractual obligation extends like say you're the sorry for swearing the absolute fuck up of that group of people and like you're a drug addicted mess do you have the ability to say don't really want you putting that on tv mate there is no contract in place purely voluntary right fair enough they just contact them every seven years and it's a shame because there are kids that have dropped out already they're not even in 21 some of them you could already probably tell what their life stories are they're the drug addicted ones yeah anything else Staying local, as in within this country, Help, which is a film that was on Channel 4, and it's on all four, and you're shaking your head, and as, as, you, as you should. It's very, it's very raw, very real. But I'll, I'll tell you what it is about. It is a drama set in a care home in Liverpool. It took all the will in the world not to say Liverpool in a Liverpool accent there. A newly qualified social care worker, Jodie Comer, has joined, and the COVID pandemic hits. Jodie Comer, the actress? Yeah. It's a career change, isn't it? Yeah, it is, yeah. So it's a documentary about Jodie Comer having a career change. <laughs> COVID hits and it's a nightmare working in a care home as COVID rampages through all these vulnerable and elderly people. Stephen Graham plays a man in his, what, 40s, 50s, who has young onset dementia and it focuses on their relationship. It is very raw and very real, maybe too real. And I think it may be difficult to watch for some because it's one of those British dramas that is extremely grounded and very real. And it could very easily be a documentary because of how perfect the acting is. They are absolutely perfect in these roles. I think when we did Free Guy, I was on the fence about Jodie Comer. I'm a full convert. She's brilliant in this. And Stephen Graham, possibly the man of the year for the performances that he's turning in. It becomes a horror film midway through because there's a scene where Jodie Comer's character does the late shift by herself as everyone is is coughing and it's all out of control. The message is, is very clear about funding, etc. And it feels like vital viewing in our times. Difficult to watch, but one of the films of the year, I think. On Channel 4, Help.
despite your prayers, I've still no desire to watch this. I can't bring myself to. It's everything I know is wrong with the world, but do not wish to see any more of. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying I'm completely well-educated in this space. I'm not. But say, for example, when my partner, she went into labour, and this was pre-COVID, the lack of people available because they were so stretched and how dangerous it was was absolutely gut-wrenching it was it was horrible and i just can't bring myself to see any more of that i would despair for a lot of people out there especially those people on the front line but i'm glad that they've made this to honor them and, and highlight the issue even further that's good i just don't think i can bring myself to watch it understandable from real drama to real news it's the real thing it is now real, real news, news. Right, I'm going to hit you with news, potentially non-news, or if not that, completely unreliable news. But we're talking about maybe. So the news source for this might point to its authenticity. I don't even know if this is a known news outlet, but Giant Freaking Robot reports that Phoebe Waller-Bridge of Fleabag fame and recently co-wrote the No Time to Die script. She will be replacing Harrison Ford in the Indiana Jones franchise. Further point to this news headline, Shia LaBeouf wanted for return. Now, this just rings alarm bells for me all over. One, Shia LaBeouf, his career is dead as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure Hollywood does as well. So I can't see that happening. Plus, I think he was one of the most moaned about things from Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Have I got the title right? Can't remember. Yes. So that I didn't see happening. Secondly, I'm nothing against Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I love Fleabag and I love her, but I do not see her as a action heroine replacement for the iconic Indiana Jones. It's just not computing with me. This was rumoured about for weeks, by the way. So it's not that it's come out of nowhere, but it would seem that, you know, to just dumb this article down a bit, it says a reputable source is pretty much confirming this is happening. What's your reaction to this? Because I'm a little bit taken aback. If you put her in the hat, maybe she will look like Indiana Jones, but I'm taken aback as well because I thought she was primarily a writer. But is she the lead role in Fleabag? She is, yes. But that's more of a comedy, is it? It is. So, yeah, I don't see how she can step up to the action role and start punching people and swinging around with a whip. I don't see it. And she's not American either, is she? She's British. She is British. I don't think it's a requirement that an Indiana Jones replacement has to be American, though, is it? That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. So we'll see. It's a reputable source. I mean, reputable sources in quotations, have been saying for years that Kathleen Kennedy is going to get fired, but that's never happened. So I'm not sure about this one, to be completely open and honest with you. No, well, time will tell, and it shall be verified or not. I think it'll be the latter. But just thought it was worth throwing out there so that if you do hear this very, very extremely odd news, there might be some truth to it. Okay. What's next, news-wise? The Russians have beaten Tom Cruise as the first people to shoot a film in space. So as of today, according to the BBC, a Russian film team boldly shoot towards space station and Russia has taken the lead in a space race with a difference sending a team to the International Space Station to shoot a feature film ahead of an American crew. And it's Yulia Perisild and she's going to start a film directed by Klim Spenko. So Tom Cruise, he's lost out. 
And this was apparently covered extensively in the Russian media. There's a lot of glamour to it. You can see them waving as they get into the spaceship. And it's happening. By the time you are listening to this, this podcast, they will be up there docking and shooting the film. Or sleeping. Depends on time zones, I guess. Yeah. I wonder about the time zone is in space. The filming will take part in the Russian section of the space station. And a full scripted feature film, not a documentary, because that's cheating. It will be, otherwise there wouldn't be the noise around it, would there? It doesn't say how much of the film is going to be shot on the space station, but Reuters.com says that in the film, Paris Hild plays a doctor who's asked to travel to space to save a cosmonaut's life. So we'll see. I'm looking forward to it personally. What about you? No, I'm, I'm interested for anything that's a first like that. I think experiments are, by the very nature, intriguing. So, um, yeah, I want to see how it pans out. I'll be there. I'll watch it opening night. Tom Cruise must be livid, though. Yeah, but just to wear my non-existent Tom Cruise fanboy T-shirt for a minute, they're not going to have his budget, are they? This is going to be something next level. So whatever it is, I'm sure it's a uh, wet fart in comparison. Fair enough. Speaking of wet farts, let's see who was... I started the sentence before I knew what the end was going to be, but I'm trying to get into how one of us... There will be a loser in the conflicts yeah. of interest about the UK summer box office competition. One of us will come crashing down to earth. That was textbook. What are you talking about, yeah? I very much disagree Shut with that. You, you do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest. In episode 54 on the 7th of June, we made our UK summer box office predictions. We each had a top five. And the scoring system that we agreed was we will get a point for one of our chosen films being in the top 10 and we'll get five points for correct placement within the top 10. I think I think that's a fine scoring system. I don't think it's open to any form of uh, corruption or, you know... Russian hacks. Exactly, exactly. I'm glad that we've drawn attention to this as well, this infamous conflicts of interest, because so important was it that we had this section, the UK box office predictions, that we didn't even mention it in the show notes. But ah well, if you have been waited with bated breath to find out the results, they are in. So what were your top five? To recap, number one, Suicide Squad. Number two, No Time to Die. Number three, Black Widow. Number four, Wrath of Man, which I said at the time, we'll see if it comes back to haunt me. Don't know why I've chose that. Wish I hadn't bothered. Number five, Conjuring 3. James, what were yours again to remind me? My top five predictions were, number one, No Time to Die. Number two, June, which is not even released. So yeah, that's, that's a non-starter. Delayed. Number three, Fast and Furious 9, The Fast Saga. Four, Black Widow. Five, The Suicide Squad. Right. Well, there you have it. I feel we must be very transparent about this as well, James. There are websites available in which you can look up the summer box office re- results. No Time to Die is an odd one because it came out during the summer but it's at the tail end of summer, so it's kind of ended as it's starting to pick up box office-wise. So we have encompassed that within our results. Therefore, if you look up, you might see a slightly different list to us, but I assure you we've done our homework, and it is accurate. I think at the time we said we'll go up to films released by the 30th of September, which is why No Time to Die got in and and June's June's gone now. 
Right, so shall we go through the official top 10 UK summer box office films? Yes, according to saltypopcorn.co.uk. 10, Cruella. Interesting, given it's simultaneous Disney Plus release. Number nine, A Quiet Place 2. Eight, Jungle Cruise. Seven, Space Jam. Number six, The Suicide Squad. Number five was F9. In at four, Black Widow. Three, Peter Rabbit 2. What? Number two, Free Guy. Number one, No Time to Die. So what are the scores, George Dawes? <sighs> All right. None of my list did I have the right placement for. I did, however, have three films that featured that I mentioned in my predictions that appeared in the top ten. They were Suicide Squad, No Time to Die, and Black Widow, for which I earned a huge total of three points. Three points. Okay, three points for you. James, you had four films that appeared in the top ten. So already, without knowing the specifics behind that, you've won. Drama over with no tension built, but let's just give you the credit that you deserve. No Time to Die was your number one. It was, in fact, number one. Five points. Well done, you. Fast and Furious in there, but not right placement. One point. Black Widow, you predicted. Number four, another five points. Suicide Squad, another one point. Gives you a total of 12 compared to my measly three. Well done, you, sir. You must be very proud of yourself. Want to gloat? I accept this victory. Uh, yeah, No Time to Die. I felt that as, we, as it was UK box office, we love James Bond in the UK. That was why I put it at number one, based solely on that. With the beauty of hindsight, bit of a stupid thing for me to not think about. So You did put it at number two. If you're not making notes as you're listening along, you did, you did put it at number <laughs> two. So we weren't completely different in our thinking. No, but 12 points is very different to three, so... yeah. Because it was such a landslide, James, do you wish to inflict any form of punishment on me for being wrong? I think think it's only fair. Is there something terrible you've watched recently that you insist I must? Maybe you should make me watch Help. (laughs) Um, I would like you to watch something that caught my eye, starring Hollywood superstar Lashana Lynch, The Intergalactic Adventures of Max Cloud, which is available on Amazon Prime. That sounds awful. When video game enthusiast Sarah is transported into her favourite game, she finds herself on an intergalactic prison, home to the most dangerous villains in the galaxy. Scott Adkins is the main guy, but I've not heard of him, unfortunately. I think he's he's like a martial arts stunt legend. What's the reputation of this film? Is it known to be terrible or what? Came out this year, 4.7 on IMDb. Oh, God. Right. Okay. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll report back next week, make it part of my watch list. Encourage everyone else to not bother. You can tell us whether it's criminal or not, whether it's criminal and whether the makers are guilty, guilty of making a film which would make them the guilty. Hello, I'd like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Call me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. Listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is The Guilty. 911, what is the address of your emergency? I just want to talk to you. Okay, I'm hanging up. Just stop for a drive, sweetie, okay? Is there someone with you? Uh huh. Does the person with know you called us? No. Who do they think you called? Your child? Yes, sweetie. Does the person you're with have a weapon? Yes. I need the color. 
A demoted police officer assigned to a call dispatch desk is conflicted when he receives an emergency phone call from a kidnapped woman. Daniel, what did you think of the guilty? Hands up, straight away. I'm guilty. I've seen the original, which is going to probably annoy some people the further that I go on in this review. But I make no apologies for it. I'm just referencing that, so you can't have a go at me afterwards. I remember being so taken by surprise with the original that I watched it twice in a matter of weeks. It was, for me, that good. What not sets it apart as such, but it makes it sort of unique. It has been done before. It's mostly single location and almost single person setup. Knowing how well that film worked, the original, I was more than curious to see what a Hollywood take on this would be. Although I did have a preconceived notion that it would be inferior. I did, however, try to come in this without that baggage, having, you know, I've seen the original. I did try and think like that. But at the end of the day, I don't think I was successful in distancing myself from it completely. I just couldn't. As for what it's about, told you in the plot summary, more or less, but you've got a policeman. He's in the middle of a court case for reasons unknown at the beginning of the film. And he's been demoted to being a 911 operator or in the original, the Danish equivalent of 911. He takes a call one shift and he's thrown into the middle of this life or death situation with a woman who appears to have been kidnapped. And it's all about him putting the pieces of the puzzle together and doing all that he can to save this woman's life from the confines of a desk with only a headset and a keyboard at his disposal. Not a musical one. That would be an odd film. This does stay very faithful to the original film in many ways, specifically the plot, but... For some reason that I really couldn't work out for quite a while, it is nowhere near as effective. Because of the narrowed-down scope, there's a lot of pressure put on the scripts and the performance to carry the film and, and build that dramatic tension. And it really does try to accomplish that, but I ultimately think that the script is quite poorly written, which I haven't done my research again on this, but I saw Nick Pizzolato or whatever his name is. I know that he wrote True Detective, and I thought, well, that's... That's shocking. And there is some unfortunate direction that lets it down. And I say the direction is partly to blame because it's like they've tried to elevate everything from that Danish film. Subtlety is not a word that I would associate with this at all. As the events unfold, Joe, who is Jack Gyllenhaal's character, he naturally he begins to get more and more frustrated that he's unable to help this woman and his surrounding colleagues, they just don't seem to understand the time-sensitive nature of things or, in fact, the high stakes of the situation. And from memory, in the original, and I really do apologise for keep referencing, but I can't help but compare, the performance of the lead actor is so restrained, he elicits emotion with, lo and behold, his face, right? His face communicates what you need to know. In this, and, and by the way, I'm not. that's not to say he doesn't have outbursts, but in this one, Jake Gyllenhaal, he's, he's having an irrational paddy every 10 minutes and it just seems that his performance is ever so slightly over the top and it felt forced. And I do get that this is a man who's on the edge. He's got a lot going on in his personal life, but he comes across as having roid rage and being a bit of a steadhead. Because of that, he's, he's a pretty obnoxious person who latches onto this woman who's in distress, but he's an arsehole to everyone around him. And it was really, really difficult for me to like him. Aside from trying to exaggerate the dramaticness of the performance, they use um, audio effects to communicate to you that he is 
becoming disorientated with the stress of the situation. It's really getting to him. The background noise is muffled and the music's throbbing. I don't remember them having to resort to that in the other film. It just let the situation speak for itself. You can see the pain written on his face. And I thought, well, this is classic Hollywood. And there is further example of that, unfortunately. It is single location in that original film. Here, they don't go too far, but when he's on the phone with, like, attending officers to crime scenes, they show through, like, a distorted lens, a limited picture of what's going on. And I just thought, you're not trusting the audience to, you know, keep invested in the suspense purely based on the plot and what is unfolding and what dialogue you've got to work with. It doesn't trust its script and it doesn't trust its audience to have patience. I am sure that if you've not seen the original, this is perfectly fine. I think if you 90 minutes and you'll think, that was all right, wasn't it? I quite enjoyed that. But I just can't get out of my head that I know there is a better version of this film, and it kind of irritated me because of that. That was my thoughts. What about you? My main concern watching this was, how can we generate a good amount of podcast content from this? Because... It is Jake Gyllenhaal in a room. He's great in the role and he does hold your attention. He's a great actor, but it is Jake Gyllenhaal in a room. And I actually will confess my guilt. I'll plead guilty to just very, very quickly skipping ahead just to check. Is it really him in the room all the way through? So I know that that's what, so I've managed my expectations. So there are two stories happening, which you've said, one is this kidnapped woman. One is what he has done in the past, what Jake Gyllenhaal's done in the past. And there's no information on the latter until very close to the end. And I did get a bit frustrated with that, that they're actually not feeding you little bits of information about this other thing that he's done. And I lost interest in it a little bit. I liked the twists and the scenes of him hearing about the discoveries. It reminded me of In the Vast of Night, where you share that character's experience of intently listening to what's being said to pick up as much information as you can. So you get very involved in it. And those scenes work really well. And I am struggling for what to say because it really is just Jake Gyllenhaal talking into a phone. Even after the first act, he goes into a private room by himself. So at the start, he's interacting with the guy sat next to him that he doesn't really like very much and his manager. But he stops interacting with them as well. It's very cinematically lit, this 911 operator office. It's very red and blue. I assume the original isn't like that. It's more natural. 100%. What were the fires about? We see on screen there's huge forest fires taking over LA. I think that was there to show that the emergency services were too busy to deal with the situation. Do you have forest fires in the Danish original? No, that's a new thing for this one. Right, I think that's trying to up the drama, but it's just there to say, oh, we're too busy dealing with the fires. Can these operators locate people using the GPS on the phones or not? Because there is a dot on the screen that shows where they are, and it's very specific. Then when he's reporting locations, he's like, oh, they're in, they're in this vague area. That confused me, because it did seem to show that he could see exactly where he was. And that was the kind of thing that I was thinking about watching this film, because I did lose a little bit of interest, even though Jake Gyllenhaal was very good. I didn't pick up that point that you mentioned until now about how he shouts a lot. Well, I did notice that he shouts a lot, but I think maybe what they were doing there was they had to keep the drama up. Something had to happen. So the only option in this film is for him to shout at people. But that, that's what I was referring to. It's just, it's almost as if they say, oh, well, English speaking audiences, they can't possibly just witness a man 
uncovering a mystery and talking to somebody that will not sustain someone's attention. And that's ridiculous. I didn't need it. And, and it's because it worked in that original so well. I thought, what is this adding to it at all? Other than seeming completely out of nowhere. Because I, I understand he has something going on. So he might be prone to an, an outburst. But he seems so irrational to me in what he chooses to lose his mind over that it struck me as odd every time it not every time it happened but a few times i thought why are you so emotionally invested in this particular case or woman should i say it didn't quite ring true for me and it's miles apart from what is in that original film sorry to mention it very early on he shouts at the guy that sits next to him who is doing nothing wrong yeah he's just an innocent co-worker it's just surprising how they just let him be a bad person Sorry, just on that point, there's a bit in it, and I'm sure a woman says something like, I've got a call for you. And he's like, put it through. And uh, she's like, can we try that again? He's like, put it through. Not please. He doesn't say please. And she just goes, all right then. And just accepts it. Almost like she was saying, no, 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 manners weren't the problem. It was just the volume. And I don't get why he's allowed to sit in a room by, him, by himself, but I like, don't want to go into nitpicking it too much. You mentioned about them showing in a distorted, out-of-focus view what's happening, so they show the events that he's listening to. Did they only do that once, or did they do it a few no, times? No, it was, it was twice. It was 15 minutes in, and I thought, oh, God, here we go. Right, another example of can't just rely on people talking. They do a traffic stop. Yeah, and yeah. then it's towards the end, maybe 20 minutes before the end, there's another example of that. It completely broke the whole concept of the film. Yeah. Being quite down on this one. Like I say, it is hard for me because I, I honestly think if I hadn't seen it in its Danish form, I would go, that was okay. But it, I can't reconcile with knowing there's a better film out there. I just can't. I'm stuck. But I must urge people that if you haven't, would do you? What was your overall opinion? No, we're getting to that, aren't we? Do you well, like it? I I am the player yeah, that you're exactly. talking about that hasn't seen it, the original, and I just thought that was okay. Yeah, it was better than the last Netflix movie offering that I watched that was like fairly promoted, which was Beckett that I didn't yeah. even finish. But they thought this had likes. I think in America, this was released in cinemas as well well before it appeared on Netflix. So they obviously had some faith behind it. And I do think it's it's perfectly fine. So, Daniel, would you recommend The Guilty? Yes, that being the 2017 Danish original. What about you, James? Yes, for just something to watch. What we're doing, <laughs> 90 minutes, stick on Netflix. Let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. To cut a not so long story short, it transpires that the woman who has been kidnapped, inverted commas, turns out to be a mentally ill woman who has in fact been accosted by her own ex-partner because she's killed their son in a mental breakdown episode. Obviously, Jake Gyllenhaal then finds himself utterly dismayed because he's put all his eggs in one basket and believes that he's been fighting to keep this woman safe. Turns out that, in fact, he has been protecting a murderer. This then leads him to have his own emotional breakdown because he knows that his impending court date is upon him, which is the very next day. Then what, James? <laughs> put it back on you. Okay. We learned that Jake Gyllenhaal killed a man 
a boy, dramatic pause, a boy. And it seems that his intention was to plead not guilty in the court case and have his police friend help him. He calls his friend and says, tell it like it is. Tell the truth and say what happened. But that means, and he says, no, let's be truthful. He pleads guilty and we learn from a news report at the very end that he pleads guilty and then presumably he's going to go to prison because he admits killing a man. So he has some sort of epiphany because he learns that he misread the situation with this 911 call from this not kidnapped woman. That's a fair summary. It does leave a, a few threads dangling, I would say. It's not a fully rounded off end. You don't quite know everyone's fate, but that's in keeping with the original. No no real change there. The one thing that I did notice that was a bit odd, and it's compelled me to go back and watch, I don't keep sick of saying the original, but that one. The revelation that she is in fact mentally ill and has killed her own son when she wants to remove the snakes from within him i'm sure that comes but five minutes before the end and it's wrapped up very quickly after that so i was surprised that another 20 minutes was wasted on just drawing that out (laughs) um did you enjoy that plot development that little twist i did enjoy the plot development because you believe what joe believes that this woman's been kidnapped it, it does seem a bit odd that she's she's allowed to speak on the phone so much. It makes sense when you realise what's going on. But I was surprised and I was interested enough to be taken aback by it and think, well, now what's going to happen? And there are some nice, if you do wish to go back and watch this a second time, you're mad. Um, but there are a few little payoffs when conversations suddenly take on a completely different meaning, um, as you just alluded to, where before you get to that revelation, she's talking about a partner and you're under the impression that he is wanting to do away with her or cause harm to her. And she's saying, he was so mad. He's so mad. He's so mad. And you think, yeah, he's mad because he wants to kill your ass. But in actual fact, he's mad because you've murdered your own son. And it, you know, on a second viewing, you would realise that and understand that there's a bit more to what she is saying. So it's not completely without effort. And when she's talking on the phone, this is Riley Kiao Ki Cole, who yes, also from uh, Zola. Zola. She whispers a lot. She's speaking very quietly. And you think that it's because she's been kidnapped that she's in the boot or the trunk of the car. But the reason is that she's she's having a bit of a episode. I've just given them a bit of um, a pat on the back there for adding some layering in and the script not being a complete waste of time. Let me know, backtrack. There's a scene, it's towards the beginning. He's had this call and he thinks a woman's been kidnapped. Oh my God, we've got to find this vehicle that she's in. He's looking for a white van, he exclaims as such. I'm I'm looking for a white van. The officer who's picked up the call sarcastically responds with, he's looking for a white van. And you think, yeah, that is ridiculous. How many white vans are there? But then just a mere breath later, he goes, right, we've found it. We're on it. And I was thinking, you've just pointed out how ridiculous it is that he's looking for a white van. Good on you. Oh, no, no, let's let's completely just undo what we've just done there and say, right, I found it. I just thought, what is this? That's where it really stood out to me in terms of the writing just being terrible. Right, a bit disappointing that, the guilty. I was really looking forward to it, but I don't think it quite lived up to expectations. Hopefully something a bit more substantial and rewarding for next week. What is it, James? Venom. Let there be uh, carnage. Oh, then. No. That doesn't sound like it. Um, have you seen the original? 
No, but I will. I will in advance of this. I've obviously been quite sniffy about it there. I remember Venom actually being quite a good old time. So maybe there'll be some fun to be had there. I'm looking forward to it as well. Thank you very much for listening. If you wish to support this podcast, you can do so, as James said, at the start of the show. So if you're listening to this now and you still haven't done it, what is wrong with you? How many times? Share the podcast with a friend. Leave us a five-star review and rating on iTunes, or you can follow us on Instagram at In The Hours Podcast. Email us at inthehourspodcast at gmail.com with any thoughts, criticisms, or feedback. From now until then, if you are guilty of a crime, like hitting a child at five miles per hour with your car for looking through your window, I think that's perfectly fine, to be honest. See you next week. Chestnut man, do-do-do-do-do. Chestnut man, do-do-do-do-do. Chestnut man. It's just really weird. <laughs>